Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to discuss the timeline of this season. Our episodes are not necessarily presented in the order we recorded them, and these conversations took place over the course of the past few months. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. That being said, Victoria and I want to express our love and support for all using their voices for positive change. Hey guys, thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode seven, when we talk to one of the most played female artists in country radio over the past two decades, Sarah Evans. We invite you to pull up a chair and get super, super comfortable because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop the guest that we have on our show today is particularly exciting to me because she kicked off my career as a country songwriter. She recorded my song Saints and Angels for part of her Born to Fly album, which was released 20 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Over her career since then, she has had hits such as Suds in the Bucket, Real Fine Place to Start, Perfect, and a little bit stronger, and many more. She started her own record label in 2017 with Born to Fly Records, on which she released 2017's critically acclaimed Words album, which marked the first time that we ever got to collaborate together as songwriters. And we'll talk a little bit about the song we wrote, Letting You Go, during this episode. And not content to rest on her laurels during COVID lockdown, she recently released another record, an album called Copy That, which includes 13 cover songs in a mixture of some of the most iconic songs in country and pop music, as well as some little known gems. And she rocks them. We're very excited to talk to Sarah because she's had more than 20 years experience in this business, so I know she'll have a lot of stories to tell. So without further ado, here we go, Sarah Evans. So we have the incredible Sarah Evans digitally here with us today. How has your quarantine been? It's been crazy. You released a new album. You're about to have a book coming up, but you're kind of stuck in the house. Are you getting a little bit of cabin fever yet? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm so ready for it to open back up. I mean, most most of all, I'm missing touring. Um, I want to be paying and employing my band and crew. Um, and so it's just, it's heartbreaking because, you know, I look at my calendar and every single weekend I had shows booked and we're just passing them by and they're all mm -hmm. canceled. And so I am, I'm more than ready to be back at work and also just to have life resume to normal. Um, we're doing the best we can as far as, you know, promoting the record and, um, but it was set to be probably my biggest year in a long time for touring and, um, I know that a lot of people were talking that way as well. Um, we were working, we were probably going to do over 80 dates this year. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a bummer, but I know that God has a plan and, you know, eventually it will, has to go back to normal and we have to be able to, you know, be in crowds again because, you know, there's risk to everything in life. You know what I'm saying? How has it been for you? since this album has released it it's such a labor of love in so many different aspects and for me when I first got to listen to it um it 
it was kind of like I grew up on so much of this music so these are my parents favorite songs and you were you and your music was the soundtrack to my childhood so it felt like all of my favorite things in one place how has that been for you even though you don't get to be out there performing live just having it out in the universe and being able to have your fans hear that and experience a little bit of that with you what is that like Oh, it's been so much fun. You know, I started singing when I was four years old um, in my family band. So we spent our entire childhood playing in bars and wedding dances and fairs, festivals, rodeos, and um, always doing cover tunes, you know? So we would just play like the most popular country songs, the most popular pop songs that were out. And so my whole life I've been having to uh, choose cover tunes that, you know, fit me but also that were really popular, that would make everyone dance. Um, and so I've been waiting to do this covers record my whole life, and this just seemed like the right time. And um, I chose a producer named Jared Kay, who's um, you know a decade younger than me, and but his his production is so amazing, and um, we chose songs that you know everybody knows. I mean, so there's nothing. There's really only one song on there that's kind of obscure, the John Mayer song, "All We Ever Do Is Say Goodbye," but that has its own story. Um, but we just got this big group text going, and so it was me and my brother and my kids and my producer and my manager um, and my sister and my husband. And every time we would hear a song or think of one, we would send it to the group chat. And um, so, like, we put Crazy Love on there by Poco. That was my brother's request. And, um, you know, we did a a Wallflower song because um, I was obsessed with the Wallflowers album. And that's how I came to start using the drummer, Matt Chamberlain, because he played drums on that record. So that has a huge, huge part of my career. So we had to do a Wallflowers song. And the rest were just songs that, um, honestly that just I'd forgotten about and I started listening to like the XM 70s on 7 channel and um, it covers six decades of music and um, like I love um, My Sharona and Come On Eileen were were two that like came on the radio and I was like oh my gosh those are going on the list (laughs) yes yeah, well, you you picked songs that were not easy too. Like those They're are really so complicated hard. songs, and I I can tell. Like I know you have a passion for production. You've been a part of co-producing most of your projects, and 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 your your background work, your background singing is obvious all over this stuff. I was like, I was listening to it. I was like, oh my gosh, Sarah's so loving doing these backgrounds because they're all, I mean, that those songs give you such an opportunity to, to play with those and you did a great yeah. job. Were you really involved in the production of the tracks and backgrounds on, on the record? Oh my gosh. From, you know, talk to and as I told you before we started taping, I'm, we moved back to Nashville last August. Um, so I'd been in Birmingham where my husband's from for the last 11 years. And so every time I would make a record, it was just a little bit more difficult because I would have to bus up, you know, live on the bus, but then go back home and maybe not be there for every single overdub because it was just difficult to get back, you know, to Nashville. It's a three hour drive. So this time, um, my daughters who are uh, 17 and 15, they're both doing online school. They would get their laptops and every morning at 10 a.m. we would go to the studio and all of us would just live there. My son Avery played guitar. He played all the guitar parts on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that we wrote the song about. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, that's him on the whole album. Uh, and Jared Kay and then my other guitar player, Ben Thompson. So it was like, really, we became a, a big family for a month solid. We didn't mm. do anything else but work on this record. And we wanted, that's why we named the album Copy That, because we wanted to copy the songs. Um, we wanted to make them sound new and fresh and sound like Sarah Evans songs, but also pay honor to everything that that those people did. So like we did Whenever I Call You Friend and talk about the harmonies. Oh my gosh. We couldn't believe it. We we were like, okay, we're going to do this exactly like they did. And you know, you're talking about a song that was recorded, I think in 1971 or 1970 before I was even born. And the harmony stuff that they put on, I'm like, did they bring in a choir? Because they didn't have the, the equipment that we have. Yeah, right. And it was so hard. So that's me and Olivia and Audrey and Jared Kay all like putting all the parts on. And we did that before Philip Sweet came in. Um, Philip Sweet did Kenny Loggins' part. He's with Little Big Town. And we wanted him to have like this amazing track around him so that he could just walk in and sing whenever I call you friend. I bet he loved that. He did. <laughs> yeah, great. he loved it. Well, it's really cool that you've included your family in so much of what you're doing. And that's been something you've been doing forever. Like if you rewind back to when Born to Fly came out. So, you know, Sarah, for the listeners that don't know, gave me my very first hit as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I was new in town and I'd written this song called Saints and Angels by myself. And Sarah recorded it on her, put it on her Born to Fly record and singled it. And that became a double platinum record. And you were touring like crazy to support that record. And you were also a mom of Avery. And mm -hmm. I mean, how old was he when that came, came out? Um, Avery was born in 99 and Born yeah. to Fly came out in 2000, I believe. So mm -hmm. yeah. And then Saints and Angels, I can't remember which yeah, 2001. single that yeah. was. Yeah, 2001 yeah. probably. You, ha you have a really interesting perspective. We've been talking to women in all different aspects of the music business, but you have a, a unique perspective as a touring artist that has included your family in that process. And how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance being a mom and being an artist and having that external energy that's required of that and also having the nurturing energy that's required of being a mom? How do you do that? Well, I grew up on a farm and I also was... Uh, you know, local celebrity. Um, so my life consisted of hard work on the farm, but always being with my mom. Cause she was, she was a stay at home mom, but she was also always working on the farm. You know what I mean? Um, so we all had to pitch in constantly and everything we did was, was a family affair. The meals, um, you know, after dinner chores, we, we, I grew up on a tobacco farm, which is incredibly hard work. And so, you know, that required getting up early, um, pulling tobacco plants and setting in the evening and then helping with dinner. So I just had that mindset already of, of like really, really hard work. And, um, I've always had a lot of energy and I've always had a love for hard work. I, I loved, you know, doing the farm work. And I always said, if I didn't move, if I didn't become a singer, if I never made it in the business then I definitely would have been a farmer. Um, so yeah, when I had Avery, it just occurred to me, when I was pregnant with Avery, it occurred to me, um, okay, what are you gonna do when you're called to do, go do things and you have to do things that 
where you can't bring them along. So I actually called Martina McBride because um, she was like a mentor of mine. She was already on RCA Records. She already had a child. And I asked her how she did it. And she said, you know, I just decided to take Delaney with me everywhere I go, no matter what. And that totally uh, resonated with my heart. I knew that's how I wanted to run my career. And so I just told my record label, um, if you want me to do a radio tour to support Born to Fly, you're gonna have to pay for a nanny because my baby's coming and I'm not leaving my baby at home. Just, you know, I would have quit before I did that. So it all worked out. Did you get any pushback on that or were they no, more than happy to all. do it? No, not at all. Not at all. Great. I mean, Joe Galante was the head of RCA Records and he was like a father to me. He was amazing to work with. He had so much respect for me. Um, you know, he, he kind of just let me do what I want, wanted. And, you know, they, I think they did get a little bit concerned when I got pregnant with Audrey because Audrey was, uh, she and Olivia are only 20 months apart. And so they were like, okay, <laughs> like, you know, are you going to just keep having kids or what? But, but they were also polite. I mean, there were, I have one sad story to talk about being a woman in this business. Um, but they, somebody at the label said something to my manager after Avery was born, um, about, you know, she needs to lose the weight, the baby weight. And when's that going to happen? And my manager told me, and she wasn't trying to hurt me. She was just, I don't know. She just wasn't thinking. Um, and it hurt my feelings so bad. And it made me so angry that I threatened to fire her. I said, if you ever tell me anything like that, that they tell you, like, you just keep that to yourself and you think of another way to, you know, encourage me to be my best. Um, but after having a baby, especially your first baby, you don't want to think about that. And I just remember like crying and I was sitting in the rocking chair, rocking Avery in the middle of the night, just sobbing about, I should be enjoying this. And instead, you know, my feelings are so hurt that someone mentioned my weight. So those are just things that go along with, you know, being a woman in, in the entertainment industry. And I don't really think that they meant anything horrible by it. They just, you know, as an artist, you're like a commodity. So you've got to look great. You've got to be great. So, but it just, um, hurt my feelings, but it also did motivate me to, to really, try to be my best in every area of my life. And so, yeah, and I just raised my kids on the road and all three of them are in music. Um, they're all, you know, very mature because of that. They were only around adults, you know, just this crazy life. They've been everywhere and I've enjoyed every second of it. So did you have, um, I, I know you were saying like the, the label sort of had a moment of wondering when you, you know, two babies very close together. So did you have any fears about becoming a mom? Like as you got pregnant and then got pregnant again, or did you start to feel like, oh gosh, this, maybe this is going to make it harder. Or did you just feel totally confident that you were going to be able to handle it? Well, I've been through so much um, adversity in my life, starting with, you know, when I was four years old, I almost died. I fell in a well and I almost drowned. And um, you know, and again, growing up on stage, I know no other way of living but to be a performer. So, and then I also come from a family of seven and I'm the third oldest. So I helped raise my four younger siblings. So, um, 
I knew that I could do it, but I did pray all the time. Like I would always pray and ask God to give me energy, give me the energy that I need to sustain and be my best for everybody. Be a great wife, be a great artist, most of all, be a great mom, and then still be there for my friends and family. Um, there was one year though that I had kind of a complete meltdown and it was the year that I released A Real Fine Place to Start. Um, I think I did over 300 appearances all together, like shows, television. Um, I released that record and I had the baby, my third. You know, so having two other ones on the road. And I always had a nanny, but, you know, a nanny's not the same. Yeah. And you physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted, too. Just I was. I mean, I had a complete break. And I just had to, you know, luckily we were coming off of tour. I was out with Brad Paisley. And I had this breakdown on December 7th or something like that. And um, I took the entire month of December, months of December and January off and just got healthy and I just kind of reorganized like, okay, you can't say yes to everything. You've got to save some space for yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, like creating boundaries must be a difficult thing it's a difficult thing in this business to do because you like you are the commodity like you said you're the product so you have to be out there but at the same time you need to protect your your creative core and your and your identity as yeah. a mom and as a family so have you gotten do you think better at, at doing that over the years do you struggle with boundaries a little bit you know i just had an issue with that this morning um you know as an artist you get trained to sort of um do whatever your label and your managers say. And you, even though your managers work for you, you sort of flip it around in your head that you work for them because they're advising you. They're the ones communicating with everyone for you on your behalf. So for instance, um, I had something booked this Friday morning. Well, I forgot. I mean, sometimes this just happens. And especially now with COVID, like I'm just, yeah. No one knows what know day it is. On, it's just know? kind of like a blur. <laughs> no one knows what day it is. Exactly. So I had this, I have this thing, um, that I have to do on Thursday night that I can't possibly do the thing Friday morning. Um, there's no way to even physically be there. And so I had to, um, email my publicist and my manager last night and, and let them know, well, it scared me and I had anxiety all night. Like, you know, are the people going to be mad that I'm canceling on? Will we be able to reschedule? Will, you know, just all of it. You just get this stress about ever saying no, ever canceling anything. And, you know, there's so much competition and I'm also trying to still support my family now with, with no touring income whatsoever, which is terrifying. And yeah, so it, it still is that way to this day, but I do think I'm a little bit better at, um, with all of the experience that I've had, I know now that the world won't end if I cancel something, you know, or if I double book something. So, but when the kids were in school, that was really, really stressful because I, I would always call the school and try to get, you know, when's the Christmas program? Like before the school year even started, because I've got to put that in my calendar so I don't book a show and you can't cancel shows I mean you can if for corona but you can't um, yeah. for any other reason <laughs> so would you say that you're an assertive person no I well yes and no I'm I mean I think that I am t 
too gullible. Um, I'm too pleasing. You know, I grew up in a huge family and I've been on stage my whole life. So I'm, I'm a, um, I think my mindset has always been, you perform well and you get love. You look good, you get love. You know, you do the, be the yes woman and you get love and please everyone. And, you know, so I'm, I have very much have a servant's heart. Um, and, you know, but I do think that I'm, I'm a pushover. My kids tell me that a lot. <laughs> you know, you're too much of a pushover and you need to stand up for yourself. And all, every time I've ever taken like a psychological test, you know, those fun tests that they, you know, I'm always like the, the empath. Do you know your Enneagram number? We've asked this a lot. It's come up naturally in so many episodes. Ah, um, if you reminded me of like what they were, I could probably remember it. There's, there's so many different ones, but we've found that most of the women that we've been interviewed, including both Vic and I were most of the time threes. And it's, we, we just want to serve and help people and give. And sometimes that Mm -hmm. means us struggling to say no. And we also don't like to fail. Right. right. It's the worst Mm -hmm. possible thing that could ever happen. It's the worst. (laughs) And I'm a total perfectionist. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I think my two or my, because they give you three numbers, right? And one is the strongest, and one. Okay, I think my two strongest ones were good things. You know, they were like things that you would want to be, but it also you can be um, taken for granted mm-hmm. and and pushed pushed around yeah. a little bit. So when you, um, I'm curious about when you're in the studio and doing production on your records. I I get the sense that you play a really big part in in how your records sound. And is that something that you had to learn how to do, how to communicate that and take the reins and steer people? No. 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 That thank God was in me from because I've been on stage working with men on doing live shows, running bands, like literally running a song and saying how I wanted the song to be and what key was right for me. I mean, by the time I was seven or eight years old and all, all my bands were always my two older brothers and then men. I'm a completely different person when it comes to that. Like when I'm in the studio, I am in charge. When I'm rehearsing my band or, you know, whatever, I am in charge, you know, just because it is what I was born to do. I was born to do music, and so I don't have any doubts about my musical abilities. I never question my gut when it comes to that, and I do, um, you know, I I would produce all of my records on my own if I had the staff and the time. You know what I'm saying? And it's not yeah, that that's my a full time job too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not that my co-producers haven't added a tremendous amount. Of course they have, but. Um, you nobody can tell me what to do or walk on me in when I'm in that scenario. But it's more my personal life that that I become like the pleaser. And speak speaking of that, I wanted to to touch real quick before we go further down this really fun path of talking about um, all of these other beautiful accomplishments. I something struck me when you were speaking earlier about that experience um, right after you had your baby because first of all 
as a woman in the industry and through doing this, we've heard so many different stories from women about people telling them to change different things about themselves. And a lot of it has to do with looks. A lot of it is other stuff. And you mentioned that all of your children are in the music industry. Um, because of all of those things that you've experienced, mostly good, some bad, all of this real drive and this assertion that you just, you know who you are. Have you guys ever sat down and had conversations about how they can do that for themselves or what that looks like or how they should and could deal with some of those hard experiences? Because I'm sure that some of them have those, some qualities from you and some of them have completely new qualities that you have never experienced. That's how my sister and I are. Um, some of it is totally our parents through and through. And some of it, my parents are like, I have no idea what to do here. <laughs> does that, does that come yeah. up with them and, and the intricacies of, of them following in your footsteps? Yeah. I mean, so that's a great question. So I have a son and two daughters. So obviously talking to my son, about any of this is is a lot different than talking to my girls because um you know he's the oldest um he's been through a lot of drama in his life too um and he is uh he's that psychotic neurotic musician (laughs) you know he started playing guitar when he was about 13 and so he is a total perfectionist um he's incredibly brilliant he's so funny he's just but he's he's also neurotic and we joke about that as as a family and um his girlfriend that he's had for about eight months now you know she dies laughing at him because like he loses everything and he just gets neurotic about things but he's just such a brilliant musician and so but we're used to that that's that's the kind of people that we've always been around just musicians. And then my girls, you know, they, they have a lot more confidence, I think, than I do. And they've also learned from me what not to do. So they hate it. Absolutely hate it when I criticize myself, when I criticize my body, when I talk about how, you know, I look old or I'm, you know, because being in, in entertainment and aging is also incredibly devastating because you're like, it's not as easy for me to get ready as it was 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and so that's made them really actually give themselves a lot more self care and self love because they've seen me be really upset or really stressed before hitting the stage, you know, or going to a fitting and coming home and just feeling like, you know, I I look like crap and, so it was actually recently that they both just said, you, ha- you have to stop doing that, especially now that we're teenagers. Like they were sort of parenting me and saying, you can't do that. We hate it when you criticize yourself because we think you're beautiful and we think you're perfect and we think you're sexy and we think you're all these things that we want to be. And then when you criticize yourself, you know, it hurts us. And I did not realize that. And they're like, yeah, we hate it. We absolutely hate it. So I've been so much better about that. You know, I never say like, oh my God, I'm so fat. Oh my God, I ate too much. I feel so fat. You know, this industry Um, is, is just a magnifying glass and all the things that we as women and as human beings just experience. It's like, 
for anyone listening who's not in the industry, it's really like you if you think your jeans don't fit when you're going to the store to try them on, imagine stepping out on a stage in front of thousands of people mm-hmm. with lights and cameras and all of these different things yeah. every day. And and I I love that you brought that up because that's exactly how I feel about my mom. My mom's my best friend and she was the person who took me to all of my gigs and helped me lug my gear and go to the studio when I was a little kid trying to live my dream. And, and I feel the same way about her. And we recently in the last couple of years have had similar situations where I'm like, mom, you are amazing. You are beautiful. You are incredible. And I think that's one of my favorite things getting to hear you speak about this because you include your family so much in everything that you do that, like you said, you're such a pleaser. It's nice that you now are going to get to sit back and receive a little bit of that love in a way you didn't expect. I think that's beautiful. Um, I want to ask you about starting your label um, when you started Born to Fly Records. That was 2017, is that right? It was I like for, so. the, for the Words album, right? Was that yeah. the first mm-hmm. album you, you released on it? So yes. How, what was that feeling like, like that decision like for you? Did you was it something you felt like just was a natural thing to do or, did, or was it one of those, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to do this, but I'm going to try? <laughs> um, to be very honest with you, it was bittersweet because I hated the fact that my time with RCA Records was up. Mm -hmm. And the reason that my time with RCA Records was up was because of how country music had changed so drastically and how they'd stopped playing women. And, you know, it was, I mean, I I worked so hard to take a little bit stronger to number one. And then coming out with Slow Me Down after that, um, you know, I realized, like, it's a different genre now. You know, ever since Luke Bryan, Country Girl, Shake It For Me, um, they're not going to play serious music anymore. And so my label and I had to just look at each other and, and, I mean, I had to just sort of look at my label and go, I get it, I know. Because you, you, I mean they just couldn't get women played. You know, they just couldn't do it. And so opening my own label was um, the next obvious move because now, you know, thankfully with digital and social media, you can get your music out, but it's still, the best way to get your music heard is still on mainstream country radio. And so that was a little bit heartbreaking to me because I loved my time at RCA and I had a huge success with RCA and I wasn't angry with them and they weren't blaming me. It was just what happened, you know? So, so then, yes, so we opened Born to Fly Records and, um, put out words and I, then I started feeling a lot better because I loved that record and I was so proud of the fact that it was on my own label and I could actually look at that physical product and see Born to Fly Records. Um, and now I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And it, unfortunately we were like, you know, just about to sort of, it was that time where we were going to take Born to Fly to another level. We were going to start like signing other artists and putting other music out besides me and then Corona hit. So but again, it's all in God's timing. It has to be the perfect timing. I mean, there are a million other people besides me that had big plans before Corona, so I'm not complaining. But um, yeah, I mean, I and I love the 
the security though of being on a major label because they were sort of they bankrolled everything and so you know all of the risk was on them right well and and you definitely I mean, you hung in there a lot longer than some of your counterparts that were mm-hmm. also massive female artists in country radio c- coming out with a um, little bit stronger all the way up to number one. That was kind of against the odds even at that point, right? Like it you, was. Were you getting information on your end of that process about was radio resisting that? Were you having to fight to get that up the chart more than usual? I had to do a major radio tour. I mean, I definitely had to go schmooze um, and do a bunch of dinners, and I had to do quite a few free shows and stuff like that, um, which was annoying because I was like, I can't believe you're making me do this. Yeah, you'd think you would have earned the ability to have another hit to follow your numbers of hits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so that was annoying. But then with Slow Me Down, um, it just got to be unreasonable. So... Yeah, a little bit stronger was a huge success. I mean, I think they told me the other day that my video for a little bit stronger, and I could be crazy, but I think they said it has over like 800 million views or something crazy like that. That was a huge song and meant so much to people. And then radio would not play my next single. And so then we went back in the studio, we recorded Slow Me Down, which I thought was a fabulous album, an amazing song. Um, Slow Me Down did pretty well, considering, I mean, I think it was top 20. Um, and so, but that just got to be ridiculous because they were asking me to do things that were humiliating. And then I finally just said, no, no more. I mean, I'm sorry, but I have earned the, the, like, I don't have to, what they always call opening a car wash, you know, (laughs) I don't have to do that. Yeah. And I, but I did see though, when I was out promoting Slow Me Down, all these young male artists and you know I would be doing like a guitar pull and so I would be like the star that they would bring in to to bring in the crowd for this radio station and they would be promoting these young new up-and-coming guys that all sounded the same but I would look out in the audience and see these girls dying over these guys I mean they would just be like ah screaming and you know and I was like thinking this person doesn't even have a hit yet. Like, what are you going crazy about? So a lot of it is just like, it's a mystery to me. Like, I don't understand. I was going to say, like, do you have a a theory or opinion or idea on why the trend has moved in that direction for towards almost all male radio play and what it could take to change that? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know. I don't know. And I have bitched and moaned about it so much because it's just ridiculous. Like, what would we do without certain female artists that we've had in the country genre, like Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn, and Tammy Wynette, and you know, and all the current ones? Um, it, it's maddening, but I think it's sort of like it's been so long now that people don't know what country music is anymore. They don't know, like country music of the early two thousands all the way to like two thousand and ten was amazing, and you know, and really diverse, you know, all the way from like, they would still play George Strait, but then they would play like Rascal Flats and me. And, you know, it's like all these different kinds of sounds. And now it's just all the same. And like, I'm sorry, but when Florida Georgia line recently just came out with a song called beer 30, I was like, I give up. Yeah. <laughs> I give up. Yeah. Well, and I guess a lot of the audience that 
would have been the audience for the kind of music that was prior to 2010 has probably started searching for it online and finding it in, in their own ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then my friends, you know, like my girlfriends, they'll get in their car and like go to the lake and they like, you know, like they'll turn on beer 30 because they're jamming to it. And I'm like, but don't you want some, you know, music with substance. substance. (laughs) I crave that. (laughs) Oh, me too. And the problem is like, I'm known. So like on all the playlists and like Spotify and all that stuff, I'm known as a country artist. So that's Mm -hmm. where, so it's just, um, there's nowhere to go. Like what genre do I go to? And it's really hard to get played on pop. And I think the, the, pop industry in LA is dying as well you know so it's it's just a weird time it's a weird time for everything yeah. it is so is the most significant part of your income then from live performing at this point absolutely yeah okay absolutely and his songs that I've written but yeah I mean um totally totally live performance well, speaking of words you mentioned it earlier and I want to touch on that because you had so many incredible female co-writers and people a part of that record, which is kind of unheard of in a lot of spaces in music, especially country music. Was that a conscious decision from your own personal experience with being a woman not and not necessarily getting to be played on the radio or having as many opportunities? Did you make that conscious decision or did it just happen through your peers and the people that you enjoyed creating with? So I never want to know who wrote whatever song I'm being pitched um, because I just want to know if I like the song. So it just turned out because in the, when it comes to me being in the studio and making a record, I have no agenda other than great songs. And so that's why I've never fallen into the trap of like ever making a drinking song or because I can't record a song that I don't love. And, you know, I'll just take the consequences of that, but I have to, I have to be able to respect myself at the end of the day. And I have to be able to be proud of the songs that I'm singing in my live shows and so um after the whole album was done I think it was my manager who said you realize uh there are 14 female songwriters on this record including you and I just thought that was really cool but no I would never discriminate against a male writer ever because that would be just as wrong um you know and I have a son so I would never discriminate against men in that way because if, if a man sends me a great song then that's a great song but it just turns out, which I think makes it even more legitimate that I didn't know. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone has such a unique perspective. I think that's one of the best things about this town is everyone has such a different journey. Some people are really have go in and they know exactly who they want to co-write. They know exactly who they want to hit up for songs and what they want everything to be. And some people go about it a little bit like you just throw me whatever and it's a gut feeling whatever's the best is going to happen and we've heard so many stories like that where everyone has their own way of going about it you could come from the same place in the same experience and end up with a completely different product um and absolutely speaking of all of that you're releasing a book and i think born to fly is having its 20th anniversary this year correct 
Okay. Oh my gosh, um, I'm incredibly excited crazy. for this this book. Um, but will you tell yeah. us a little bit about how it came to be? Did you start out wanting to write a book or did someone approach you asking to do this project? And, and how was that writing process for you? Um, so a publisher came to me and approached me about writing a book and said, you know, what would you want to write about? And this was around, um, I mean, this process started about five years ago. So uh, I said, you know what, I, I, it would probably be fun for me to write a book that's sort of, because I'm kind of a comedian as well. So like, especially when I do uh, smaller venues, I like to do a little bit of stand up and I just, you know, <clears throat> that's just naturally just bred into me. My mom is like the funniest person I know and she's brilliant and so I thought it'd be funny to write a how I sort of like I don't know how she does it like how have you done it not only having three kids you know raising them on the road but then marrying a man with four kids and so every other weekend having seven kids in your home sometimes coming off the road and you know there are seven kids sitting there like waiting to be fed and I just <laughs> get off the bus and immediately start cooking oh um so I thought, I'm having you know, anxiety thinking about that. Oh yeah, it, yeah. There were there were some rough years in there. I will oh. say, um, 2014 was probably the worst because that was the year that I was you know trying to promote slow me down, and then I had a, some personal issues as well. Um, but and just being so busy, but so I just thought it would be funny to write about that. And then they sort of kept pushing for like a memoir, and I thought you know I don't want to write a memoir yet. I mean I'm too young. <laughs> And it's just, there's so much yet to happen. But so it's, so through two different co-writers and just a, a really difficult process, I finally finished the book. Just, I finally just took it over myself and just said, okay, I'm just going to write. So I chose bits and pieces of my life to talk about. I talk about my parents' divorce. Um, I talk about growing up on stage. I talk about a lot of the stuff I've talked about today, like, you know, dealing with, um, being a mom and a wife and having this career and I talk about a couple of stories that I've never talked about before that people are just gonna just literally die when they hear <laughs> when they read um so it turns out that it is like it's a memoir but it's um it also has some advice I talk about like you know don't do this as a parent and whatever you do you know teach your kids this because you know, and you don't want your kids to be annoying. And if your kids do things that annoy you, you know, you need to put a stop to that because it's annoying other people as well. And, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's funny and sad. Yeah. Oh, it sounds fascinating. I'm really looking forward to that. When is it going to be coming out? It comes out in September. September. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We have a few little trivial questions mm -hmm. that are just kind of get to know you questions. We call them rapid yes. fire. All right. Rapid fire question number one. Who is your favorite creator at the moment? I'm a really big fan of Rustin Kelly. Love. He's, he's my new favorite artist. I think his music is fabulous and it falls in that, you know, like it's, it's definitely not bro country, it's smart mm. music. Love Very cool, that. we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Absolutely, so people can check and question awesome. two, what is your current favorite trend? You know, that's hard to say because we've been in lockdown, and so I, I can tell you what some of my least favorite trends are for sure. That, that's okay, the next that's question um, three, perfect. so you can do that. You can answer that one. Uh, my least favorite trend is is quarantine. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I refuse to call it the new normal. It's the, it's the temporary normal, but you know, it's that is my least favorite trend for sure. Um, the last time that you failed, it can be any kind of failure, even if it turned out to be a good thing. Last time that you failed and you were just like, I can't believe that happened. I think when I talked about, you know, when my girls sat me down and really told me to stop criticizing myself and I can't remember, um, cause life is so weird and we've just been at home for so long, but I think we had this big, you know, discussion and it was right around the time when the quarantine started and I was having to do like all these Zoom things and just like getting used to seeing myself on the iPhone and like figuring out the lighting. And um, and so I, I think that was my last biggest fail was criticizing myself to, so much to the point that my both my daughters had to, you know, get onto me and the roles reversed a little yeah. and they had to reprimand me. Do you think you've always been critical of yourself like that? Or has that been oh, more recently? Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. I mean, you know, I've always had a, a weird relationship with food and body image. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is from, you know, growing up on stage and being a celebrity from the... And so getting that performance. So you felt that, you know love and acceptance and all that was conditional and also um you know if you're beautiful and sexy then people like you better yeah so i've always always had that in my head do you feel like social media has enhanced that in any way because i know when we were answering these questions I definitely had been in quarantine for a month and I was just on social media so much because there was nothing else to do and I felt a little more of that set in. Did that have any anything to do with that experience, do you think? Um, probably, yeah, just because, you know, you see so many pictures of yourself. Um, like when you're on stage, you can have on a great outfit and you can be in great shape, but you can, I'm moving all the time and you know, so my fans, God love them. They, they love me unconditionally. So they don't see a bad picture of me, but I see bad pictures of me. And, um, I just die sometimes when I see them. So yeah, I think that's, that's enhanced it. Cause we didn't, we, before social media, we didn't see ourselves so much on stage. We would do the show and then leave. Yeah. And that one <laughs> bender bulge was not immortalized in a photo for the world to see. I exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Vic, do you want to take the last one? Yeah, so the last question is, if you could go back and visit yourself at any point, what would you, what advice would you give yourself? Oh my gosh, there are so many to choose from. Um, you know, I, so oh, I, won't, I won't be too heavy because, you know, obviously you know, you know a lot about my life, Victoria. Yeah. But um, I would probably go back to when Avery was born and, you know, just tell myself to enjoy, enjoy that and not to think so much about, you know, like I was saying, like get back, getting back into shape and, and fearing that I would lose my career if I took much time off. Um, you know, I'd probably do that for, for lack of, anything darker that I could mm-hmm. say but don't want to say because my girls are in yeah. the house <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well that makes sense and uh, 
we we had a really cool experience um, when I got to write with you, Sarah, for actually the first time, even though it was like 17 years or something after Born to yeah. Fly was a hit. But we wrote together and, and we had this really cool experience of my kids were the age that yours were when Born to Fly came out, when we finally wrote together. And, mm-hmm. and your oldest is heading off to, to college. And time is weird sometimes you look at it and it's like you can look back at yourself and see yourself with such compassion in past stages and you hope Mm -hmm. that you can have that compassion for yourself in the future when you get to that point and we wrote we wrote one of my favorite songs that I've ever written I mean letting you go is is I mean I'll just never forget that day I mean I could cry thinking about it we cried like we couldn't stop crying yeah and we just kept adding more and more like painful lines. And my favorite is, um, you know, time is a liar, which I could set the clock on fire. And then we would cry. And then, and then we, I'll never forget going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, here's the best idea. We have to put, but you were also born to fly away. And then we just lost it. <laughs> we like we so lost hard. it. We cried so hard. We wrote yeah. that out in my garage. Yeah that room I'll never forget it. but that's one of my favorite songs that I've ever written yeah me too that was just a beautiful experience and the fact that it was three women who are also moms in different stages of motherhood uh, just just made it very raw right yeah. like we were all feeling every aspect of it as we were writing it and I wish you could know Victoria like uh, all the um response that I've gotten about that song and how mm-hmm. many moms have just told me that 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 song has meant everything to them, but also just shattered them. Oh, yeah. Shattering in a yeah. good way. What, the, what every way. songwriter wants. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing yes, this Thank you, today, we really Sarah. appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was so fun. Talking to you, and you just have such a unique perspective and so much wisdom from all your, your years in the business, so it's wonderful. I'm so excited for everything you've got yes. going on. And thank and you. Book and new record. So excited. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your time with us. Absolutely. I can't wait to see you guys in person. Yes. I'm, yeah, exactly. I can't wait to have yeah. you again once that <laughs> book comes out. We'll, we'll talk Absolutely. all about those wonderful stories. I would love that. Thanks, you guys. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign The Table Women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeForce, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any artists or songs referenced in the episode in our episode notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time on The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you.